The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. This episode features my conversation with Beth Mace, the Chief Economist at the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care. Beth details how Seniors Housing responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, which increased requirements for safety and sanitation in facilities across the country. She also discusses why she is cautiously optimistic with occupancy rates inching upward to meet pent-up demand from the past five months. Hello, I'm Nick Leiter, Senior Content Editor of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine. Today, I'm joined by Beth Mace, Chief Economist at the National Investment Center for Senior Housings and Care, a nonprofit that provides data and analytics on seniors' housing to connect investors and providers. Beth, first of all, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Nick. It's my pleasure. Before we kind of get into the details of where we're at now with the uh, with the pandemic and kind of everything else tied into that, uh, I was wondering if you can give us more detail about where the seniors' housing market stands today. Uh, and first, kind of a quick summary of how we got here and and where was this sector coming into 2020? Sure. So um, I have data from our NICMAP data service through the second quarter of 2020, but really what was going on pre-COVID is evident in the first quarter of 2020 data. Mm. And just for some perspective, the occupancy rate for seniors housing in the first quarter was 87.7%. And seniors housing here includes both assisted living and independent living. So we had seen um, in the um, data for seniors housing that there had been a little bit of a, a supply and demand imbalance, especially for assisted living, where there was more supply really in many markets than what was being able to be absorbed on a net basis. So they had been putting some downward pressure on occupancy rates, but things were starting to come a little bit more in equilibrium before COVID. And now since COVID, we've seen some um, a sharp drop in occupancies. Yeah. And, and I'm sure uh, just kind of the nature of seniors housing being kind of somewhat multifamily with an, with a business operating within it, um, you know, you have caretakers, administrative staff, and doctors. Um, you know, how, how do you think the industry can respond to COVID to ensure that these businesses can survive? Yeah, so that's, that's a good point. You know, senior housing is a little bit of um, hospitality, a little bit of healthcare, a little bit of sort of multifamily all wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. But the important distinction between multifamily and senior housing really is that it's an operating business as well. And you're taking care of individual people um, for their care needs. And in some cases, those care needs relate to activities of daily living, which would include helping needs with medication management or possibly mobility or needing to help with showers or dressing um, in the morning or at the evening. So that makes it a more intense care type um, operating business. It also can include, especially now since COVID, much more healthcare component to it as well, taking care of people, monitoring their symptoms, um, uh, trying to prevent them from having to go into a hospital as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have to say, I'm quite proud of being associated with this industry right now that, you know, during this unprecedented global public health emergency, 
Um, you know, I have my full admiration to the healthcare personnel that have been working around the clock, really, to ensure the safety of the senior housing residents. And it's been uh, very admirable. And we've seen operators do some pretty uh, significant um, measures and take significant measures and efforts to try to minimize the spread of COVID-19 in their properties. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done that by, first of all, they had to get the personal protection equipment or PPE, which as you may recall, back a few months ago was very difficult to get. And in some instances is still difficult to get. They, right now we're in the phase of the COVID pandemic really of needing tests and needing to get tests back at a really rapid response rate. And what we've seen is there have been significant delays in some instances of being able to get those test results back, which has been hampering the success of the industry to continue to take care of their residents in as safe a way as they possibly can. So, um, you know, from my point of view, it's really important that we prioritize uh, residents' health and that we prioritize the frontline healthcare workers' needs to be able to keep those seniors safe. And that will then, of course, you know, lower the, um, flatten the curve, so to speak, and prevent seniors from needing to go into the hospital. And some of the specific protocols that we've seen, we've seen extra cleaning and contact prevention protocols, uh, limitations on visits, uh, restrictions on group activities, travel restrictions, a lot of safety protocols in terms of how often things are cleaned. Sometimes the use of robotics to help with cleaning. Um, surfaces, uh, much more flexible schedules for staff, in some cases the need to hire agency staff as well to take care of staff that have been sick. So, um, you know, the plans, the efforts have generally played out pretty well and um, not in all instances because obviously the pandemic is spreading in parts of the country, Mm -hmm. but I think that most operators have a better handle on it than they did initially. And in some instances, operators are now allowing um, new residents to move in. And there seems to be a pent-up demand in a queue, in fact, for some properties, at least across the country, of people who want to come into senior housing and they're waiting um, until those operators allow them to come in in a safe way. Yeah, well, I, my follow-up with question was going to be how, how you would, would have graded uh, operators, and it sounds like that, that, that they're doing about as best as you can in, in a global pandemic. Well, you know, I think that's the case for many operators. I don't know. Um, I can't speak for, I can't, you know, hands down say every single operator is performing like that. But I know that, you know, I think um, we had talked about, are they surviving? Well, I would say that in some cases, operators are not just surviving, but they're thriving. Yeah, yeah. And they've been able to open their doors and bring um, residents back in. And I know some properties are actually at 100% occupancies. Um, that's not all the case, <laughs> um, of course, and um, there are going to be other operators that are doing as well as that. And uh, some operators were challenged because they went into this situation already challenged with lower occupancy rates because of the amount of new supply that had come into some markets, so that there has already been competitive pressures on them um, already. And you layer the pandemic on top of that, and then just the broader economic crisis. I'm an economist, so I paid a lot of attention to the economic crisis. And that's also um, hampered some operators. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it sounds somewhat what encouraging, like you said, when they're opening their doors and now it's more of a case uh, where testing is more of in demand than PPE, say, two, three months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Is, is the testing is the testing is that is that for uh, on site workers, for residents, both or? Well, in general, the, if the uh, virus is coming into the property, it's coming in from people that are bringing it in. 
Mm-hmm. So that would be staff or that would be delivery to people bringing in supplies into the property. So most of the testing, at least that I'm aware of, is really being um, applied to workers as opposed to the residents. And uh, residents will get tested, of course, because we, we need to track that as well. But for the you know assurance that they're feeling fine. But the, in terms of the, the um, virus coming into the properties, it would be normally by um, workers that are coming in. And obviously, they're not doing it knowingly. So if we can test, you can try to prevent that. And, you know, and originally, you know, visitors, family members were probably bringing it in in some instances as well. So there have been protocols put in place to um, shape those types of visits in terms of how much face-to-face contact or um, you may have seen pictures in the paper in terms of like people visiting with plexiglass separating themselves. Um, so I think operators are doing everything they can because, you know, it's really important for the sake of, of people in general, but especially elderly people, to maintain contact to prevent, um, you know, <clears throat> to prevent um, social isolation, to continue to be involved with people, to continue to see their family members is really important, I think, for their broad health yeah. and their um, overall well-being. Yeah, and, and like you said, you go to the grocery store, there's plexiglass up between you and the, the cashier, and, and people are kind of taking these, uh, these extra steps. Um, and you've already mentioned within the seniors housing market that they're not afraid to stagger schedules or have, you know, increased cleaning protocols. You know, do you see a role for technology plan in uh, seniors housing response to COVID? Absolutely, yes. Um, we've seen a lot of technology um, probably being accelerated because of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, certainly the most obvious one on that is telehealth. And telehealth was a, you know, maybe we're going to do it, maybe we're not going to do it, but now we're doing it. <laughs> and um, that's been, I think, quite significant to prevent uh, elderly folks needing to go to the doctor or maybe preventing some hospital um, visitations that might have been required. Because you can, with the telehealth, you can have someone, for example, um, apply a blood pressure cuff on you and you can report that right to the doctor director. Excuse me, you can report that directly to the doctor and other types of things. So you can have an aide with you if you're a resident doing some of the testing that the doctor would have been, but then you can refer that results of that to that doctor directly and he can, uh, he or she can then comment on that. But we're also seeing, you know, from an operations perspective, you are seeing the role of technology. Um, for example, um, since COVID, tours are happening, happening virtually. Um, so, because if you can't walk the property uh, for the reasons that we're talking about, you can do a tour from that property. Um, you know, lead generation is increasingly being done over the internet. Um, this isn't all related to COVID, but we've seen, you know, IT systems and big data that are allowing senior management to observe real-time changes in day-to-day operating performance. Uh, you're seeing remote monitoring of residents um, that's starting to generate more and more staff efficiencies. From a health and wellness perspective, in addition to telehealth and virtual care systems, you know, we have um, remote sensors or handheld devices with medical applications. So we're seeing a lot of that. And then Mm -hmm. last thing is sort of the social aspects of technology and the ability of people to just through social media to contact each other, be it on Facebook or be it, you know, other types of uh, uh, methodologies or Zoom Zoom meetings that everybody's doing now. Um, And you're also able to do, you know, with an iPad, you can do games virtually. Mm -hmm. So I think that you've seen a lot of technology come into these properties and I think it's here to stay. 
and there will be ultimately cost efficiencies to, uh, derived from that, especially as it relates to staff, because you can free up your staff then to do sort of the highest and best use, which is really caring for the residents. If you can take away some of the more mundane things that technology might be able to help you with. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah, and given the changes that have resulted from this pandemic, um, like you said, the heightened health and safety requirements for housing, um, you know, how, how do you make the case for, for new construction or large capex um, to existing properties to, to have them meet these new standards uh, and while, while still kind of uh, producing the margins that investors need? Um, I think that the, um, a lot of prioritizations have had to be reexamined to see exactly what is important and what is needed. So on CapEx, you know, maybe some of that CapEx that we're going to be using for renovating a property or upgrading property in some way, shape or form, maybe that's been deferred for a while because I think it's been all hands on deck to really address the immediate crisis, which is the keeping your residents safe um, as it relates to COVID. In terms of new construction, I think that there's been a pause on that a little bit. I know some of the debt providers, the banks, the lenders, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they've um, slowed down some of the issuance of new um, debt um, until things settle down a little bit. So there are some projects that have been put on hold and some projects that are moving along, but moving along at a slightly slower pace. And some of that relates to the fact that just the um, equipment or the supplies coming into the country were slowed from some of the trade challenges that we've had as well. So that's had an impact on, on construction as well. Gotcha. And I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but as far um, on the consumer side, I think with the situation we're in right now, you know, amidst a, a pandemic where we're all focused on, on safety and, and health, um, is there a change in the priorities from the consumers where they're they're willing to forgo some of the bells and whistles as far as units may offer as long as they know that this place is you know safe and clean and healthy yeah i think so um i don't have any like numbers on that but i think you know foremost is the um well especially right now because of because <laughs> of the headline risk that we're reading so much every day in the paper i think people want to make sure that they're safe I think people want to make sure that they'll have an ability to see their friends and their family members. So there are a lot of different techniques that have been developed to make sure, to ensure that there's um, visitation. So at least for right now, in the better weather across most of the country, you see um, outdoor living rooms that are developing more so people can meet with their family members out there. The plexiglass that I talked about, social distancing within properties, setting up dining spaces so that they're six feet apart from each other, um, that type of thing is happening. And, and backing away to maybe a more of a general question, um, there's a lot of questions as far as offices and retail, if there's going to be a growing demand in the suburbs and, and rural locations um, to avoid the high density urban areas. Do you think, will this be true in senior, senior housing where there'll be a growth in the suburban rural area? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually. Well, traditionally, Nick, it's actually been uh, more located in suburban and rural locations. There's been a recent shift more towards urban 24-7 locations, gotcha. especially for independent living products due to uh, walkability, wanting to have access to transportation, convenience to retail and dining options, convenience to cultural activities. 
So there has been a shift towards that, um, trying to, I think that we saw that in multifamily as well, right? People wanting to move into urban areas, higher density, to take advantage of some of the benefits of living in those types of settings. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that there'll be a shift as we're starting to see in like office back to suburbs because we've already had a little bit more of a suburban rural location um, concentration in the first place. Gotcha. Do you think that that trend, uh, the pre-COVID trend of looking at urban areas, is that more on pause or do you think that's kind of the, you think COVID kind of ended that? <laughs> no, that I think that the, 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 honestly, there's, going to be a lot of demand for seniors housing, at least in my view, just as the baby boomers age. So there's going to be need and demand for suburban locations, for rural locations, and for some people more in the you know urban 24-7 locations. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, the, you know, COVID has presented a, a number of challenges to seniors housing, but, um, you know, it sounds like that, that you're very, uh, very optimistic in, in the long-term outlook of the sector. Um, you know, if you had to make a pitch for an investor in 2021 and beyond, you know, how would you how would you set up seniors housing? Yeah, I'd say I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there are challenges that have to be addressed in the industry um, as well. But I think that the general investment thesis for investing in seniors housing has not gone away. And that includes, you know, compelling demographics, attractive investment returns with seniors housing returns historically, um, outpacing other major commercial real estate um, asset types. If you look at the NACREF data, with the exception of industrial mm-hmm. <laughs> recently, yeah, uh, there's been greater transaction volumes and liquidity in the sector. And that provides investors an opportunity to, to have an exit plan. This is enough investors out there that you can buy knowing that you can sell. We see a lot more public re- participation in the sector, certainly than we did 10 or 15 years ago. I think there's better understanding of the sector by institutional capital providers. And there's a lot of dry powder on the sidelines right now, I think, waiting to come in as the situation stabilizes. And um, the other area is that I think that COVID is really showing that there's a healthcare com- component to seniors housing. And I think that's going to create additional demand as well as we realize the benefits of uh, population health management in seniors housing properties. Gotcha. So that is, like you said, with the, with the dry powder, there's... There's people interested, and it's just a matter of, of you know, once things settle down a bit more, and uh, hopefully it's a, it'll be time to pull the trigger. Well, great, Beth. I, I appreciate your time very much, and I think seniors housing is, is for sure a, a dynamic market sector, and and we really appreciate your insight, your insights. Absolutely, my pleasure. Happy to talk another time as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Bye, Nick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate. 